0: I want to thank Jessica for the invitation to preach uh, this week. What she, didn't really, what she didn't tell you was that the real, the real reason for no chapel next week is you ne- you'll need a week to recover from, uh, from my sermon this week. No. Uh, no, I'm really happy to be here, and it's good to be in the Lord's house, good to be among the people of God today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that when we are at the end of our rope, your word comes to us, not only in your scripture, but through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak from your heart through my heart, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in 1993, this would have been, I think, about October of 1993. Uh, my then-fiancé and I, Misty, were doing our last premarital counseling session. And um, a friend of ours, Andy Hurst, was the campus pastor at the university where we were attending, and he was uh, doing our premarital counseling. And, you know, I'd been involved in the campus ministry for a while, and in the middle, and I I sometimes question Andy about this, was this the best time to ask this question, but in, in the middle or right toward the end of our premarital counseling, he asked about what I was doing in terms of job searching and all those kinds of things. And, and I told him how it was going, and it wasn't going very well, honestly. And, he's, and I said, I'm just trying to figure out what, you know, what I'm supposed to do with my life. And he said, well, don't you think God may be calling you to ministry? And I've never had before nor since such a clear realization that that was exactly what I was supposed to do. In that moment, and I've explained it to people as a light going on, and it literally was. I've never had the experience of going from not knowing something one minute and the next minute knowing exactly what I was supposed to do. Well, that set us on a journey, you know. Well, if we're going to be in ministry, we probably need some training. We probably need to go to seminary. And so we began to look around and try to figure out where to go to seminary. Andy had been to Asbury, so he brought us here for a visit. And by this time, that call, that strong sense of this is what I was supposed to do, had begun to wane just a little bit. And the anxiety began to kick in. The worry began to kick in. I began to think, okay, all right, uh, well, we don't want to take on debt, so how am I going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for seminary? Um, well, if we moved to Wilmore, back then there was no online option whatsoever. This was in the really old days. Uh, and so it was... It was the only thing to do, there was no Orlando campus, it was Wilmore, that was it, that was your choice if you're going to Asbury. And so I was like, well, so one of us has to have a job, we can't pay the bills, you know. So I kept, you know, all these things. Well, we found out after our vis- or during our visit here that there was a scholarship that had just come on, uh, just been matured or whatever. And it was for someone coming from Louisiana, which is where we're from, that was intending to go to Asbury and return, intending to return back to Louisiana. I fit the bill perfectly. And it was a full scholarship, which is a very rare thing. So, check. Well, okay, yeah, God took care of that, but we, nobody has, we don't have a job. You, know? you don't have a job, Missy. I don't have a job. What are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? So um, she found out about a job that may be coming open. She applied for it. We never heard back. Um, it was com- coming to the point where we had to come and start looking for housing. So I guess on faith, we decided, well, we're going to go look for housing and trust that God's going to provide. We came, and uh, lo and behold, to make a much longer story, shorter, uh, we found out that her application had been lost, but the job was still open. So they did an interview while we were here. She was hired for the job. <laughs> and, you know, in and, and the same day, we found housing. Uh, All these things that I kept worrying about, all these things that I had anxiety about, God just took one after the other. It was as if he was saying, just keep keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the kingdom. Keep your eyes on the call that I placed on your life. I'll take care of all this stuff. This is exactly what he did. Well, unless you've been asleep for the last few years, um, anxiety is something that's prevalent in our society. It's prevalent in our churches, it's prevalent in our denominations, it's prevalent all over the place. Um, There's fear about the future. There's angst because we don't have satisfying answers to the problems we're facing. There's hesitancy to speak because of the atmosphere that we have. There's cynicism because of what we're seeing in the world. And when we give in to anxiety or worry about any of these things, or about any of the things in our own life, whether it's whatever it is, we're tempted to focus on secondary things and keep and not focusing on the primary thing. And the thing about anxiety is it feeds itself, doesn't it? Once you give in to it, it just kind of snowballs. Just like, you know, God took care of the scholarship. Well, there's no job. You know, <laughs> I kept coming up with these new things, and it feeds itself. And perhaps maybe this is a little too simplistic and maybe not sophisticated enough for Estes Chapel uh so feel free to disagree with me. But I think we have a pretty clear choice. Straight from Jesus. First, we can give in to the fear, the hesitancy, the cynicism, the anxiety. We can focus on those secondary things. We can do that. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. I did it about this sermon. <laughs> See, it's, this is where I do as I say, not as I do. Um or or we can follow the command of Jesus. The command of Jesus, don't worry, don't be anxious. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing for us the life of a disciple. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple of mine. That's that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is about, at least in my estimation. And here, Jesus, in this passage, addresses the issue of anxiety or worry when we focus on those secondary uh, other things. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus said. But wait, there's more. Sounds like one of those cheesy commercials, doesn't it? There's more. In this passage from Matthew, Jesus doesn't just say, seek first the kingdom. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. In the context surrounding this passage, we see Jesus describing the character of a disciple, the life of the disciple. We're to pray, thy will be done. As a disciple, we can't love both God and money. The eye is a lamp to the body. What we focus on as disciples matters. There are two gates. There are two houses. And I believe Jesus is calling you and me to focus on the will of God, the kingdom, and our obedience to God's will, his righteousness, and trust him with all the rest. I was recently reading a part of a book in which the writer rehearses the reasons often given for the decline of Christianity Specifically, Methodism in this book. Yeah, I know, real depressing read, right? Um, he cites many of the usual suspects ineffective leadership, secularism, move away from the Bible, or decline in faith in general. And then he writes this. He tells this little story. He said, When the regional water company decided to enlarge their water supply and make bizar- bigger reservoirs, the little lakeside town of Mardale was doomed. Necessarily, the church was to share the fate of the town, and discussions immediately arose as to what should happen to the church furnishings. Mr. Jones put in a proposal, Mr. Carlisle pressed his point of view, a church conference was held. Argument countered argument, finally, a delayed decision was reached. And then they made a discovery. While the argument was going on, something else was going on, too. Beetles had been eating the furniture. And the Beatles had settled the matter before the lawyers and the preachers. There was, in fact, practically nothing to argue about. The district superintendent settled the matter by ordering a bonfire. He goes on and says, It must not be like that in Methodism. Endless discussions as to the true diagnosis must give way to some radical cure. We know enough to make a beginning, at least, we know enough where to begin. We must begin with ourselves. General criticism of Methodism must give way to a clear, incisive, and detailed criticism of a Methodist. Rigorous examination is demanded. Skevington Wood wrote this in 1938. I haven't changed (laughs) much, have we? 1938, he wrote this uh, in the context of the British Methodist Church. And it could be any church, whatever denomination you're a part of. It could be anyone, whoever we happen to be. And Wood is exhorting his readers to stop focusing on secondary things. Stop worrying about the things that are not of ultimate significance and focus on their own discipleship and perhaps the discipleship of others. Now, in my PhD research, I looked at the impact of the loss of the telos, or what I argue is the telos or the ultimate goal in early Methodism. That's a story for another time. I won't bore you with that. But maybe we can agree here that when we lose our telos, when we lose our ultimate aim, our ultimate goal, we fall into a trap. And as I've reread this familiar passage from Jesus, I think Jesus is identifying a two-part telos for disciples, for us. It's the kingdom, and it's his righteousness. It's the mission of God to us and through us, and it's the character of God formed in us by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we want to separate these two, but I think they're inseparable if we're going to live the life that Jesus has called us to. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I work with a ministry uh, called the Inspire Movement. It's an international network of Christians who are committed to developing mission-shaped disciples and leadership in the life of the church. And our vision is to help people become everyday missionaries who abide deeply in God and live that out missionally in the world. And often we see anxious pastors and church leaders who are so focused on secondary things. And in essence, our goal, I guess, if you want to say it this way, is to help leaders find a way to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The kingdom, the mission of God through us, God's will for us. John Wesley said of this part of this passage, he said, let it be your concern that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, may reign in your heart may manifest himself in your soul and dwell and rule there. The kingdom, and then righteousness, the character of God formed in us, obedience to God's will and trust in him. Again, Wesley says, righteousness is the fruit of God's reigning in the heart. Now, as a pastor and as a professor, I've been the victim of that temptation to focus on secondary things. To focus on things that I can't control, to focus on things that are secondary. But as my good friend Mike Voigt says, and I think this is quoting your dad worry is just praying to yourself. Worry is just praying to yourself. And friends, that's not kingdom thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. So here in Matthew 6, I believe Jesus is calling us to focus on our discipleship, his kingdom, his righteousness. And I think the discipleship of those in our reach. It's not only about us. It's about those around us. Remember, Jesus says, your righteousness must be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I'm a Wesley scholar. This is the second time I've mentioned Wesley in this sermon. I apologize. But John Wesley has an entire series of sermons on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've read them. You're in my class, you probably have. In discourse number nine, Wesley writes this He says, Let God have the sole dominion over you. Let him reign without rival. Let him possess all your heart and rule alone. Let him be your one desire, your joy, your love, so that all that is within you may continually cry out, The Lord God omnipotent reigns, his kingdom his kingdom. He goes on and he says, Seek first this kingdom of God in your hearts, this righteousness which is the gift and the work of God, the image of God renewed in your souls, and all these things will be added. These shall be added, they shall be thrown in and over and above. In seeking the peace and love of God, you shall not only find your, what you more immediately seek, even the kingdom that cannot be moved, but also what you seek not. You shall find your way to the kingdom all outward things so far as they are expedient to you. Cast your care upon him. He knows your wants. And whatever is lacking, he will not fail to supply. So don't let anxiety get a hold of you. Because when it does, it just latches on and keeps going. Don't give in to the temptation to dwell on secondary things. Jesus is calling you and me to focus on our discipleship and the discipleship of those in our reach. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is what Jesus calls us to, I think, today. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that so many times I focus on those secondary things And so many times there are things that are completely out of my control, completely out of the realm of possibility that I could even influence. Lord, I focus on them rather than focusing on you, your kingdom, your righteousness. Lord, if there are others in this room today who have fallen into the same temptation, Lord, we confess that to you and we ask that you forgive us. That in this moment, you help us to reorient ourselves. That we cast off the worry and the anxiety that's around us, that's in us. And we set our eyes on your kingdom. We set our eyes on your righteousness. We make that our aim and our goal. And Lord, then we trust you to add everything else. Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.